Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rock Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon B.K. Kylie. This is Before the Box Score. We're calling this one the NyQuil edition. I'm going to record as long as I can before I pass out. That's the goal. BK, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. I will be here for you no matter what you need, Nate Edwards. I appreciate you being able to make it in for this. Uh, looking forward to a podcast. You just hear me snoring in the distance? Just <laughs> let it be. Let it be. Levi, edit it out, please. Um, so it's a sleepy show for me because uh, everything that can kill me is out in the air right now. Uh, and it's a sleepy show in general because there's really not a whole lot happening in the Mizzou sphere other than recruiting, which, baby, it's always recruiting season. Uh, but that that's really it. Roster management is the name of the game. Roster management is the name of our shows during the offseason, so that's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, some additions, some interesting additions. We'll have some critique on it, and we'll talk about the most recent uh, opponent preview series that I put it up uh, yesterday on Tuesday. So let's jump into it. Uh, we've got some additions into the 2023 recruiting class. Yeah, two of them. First one was a guy named Blake Craig. He is a kicker. A kicker. Remember back in the day when you used to not use scholarships on special teams players and like 
you just pick a dude off the swimming team. That was kind of weird. Anyway, we don't do that anymore. Now we recruit special teamers from high school who have like actual stars and ratings next to them. Uh, Blake is not ranked nationally, not ranked for his position, and not ranked in the state of Missouri as of yet. Still relatively early in the process. Uh, but he is out of Liberty, Missouri, Liberty North. He is 5'11", 180, and he is given a 5.3 rating on Rivals. That's a two-star. Um, so he uh, he committed on June 5th. Uh, he became the fourth addition uh, to the 2023 Missouri football recruiting class. And then we added another guy. Uh, this dude's name was Marquise Johnson. And Marquise Johnson is the son of Dominique Johnson, who was a cornerback at Mizzou from 2004 to 2006. Uh, so, yeah, now if you are in school with me, now those players have kids who are committing to <laughs> Mizzou. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Um, yeah. Anyway, Marquise and Blake are the newest additions. We're very excited to have them. Uh, let's start with Blake Craig. BK, it's a kicker. Do you really have any analysis outside of that? I do. I've got one thought, actually. Um, I read a piece earlier today over on the Hastings Tribune. Huge thanks to the great work by a gentleman by the name of Kyle Pinnell. Keep doing your thing, Kyle. Um, according to him, Craig was named to the All-State team in the state of Missouri because he converted field goals of 56 and 53 yards this year. He was a junior in high school. Those are the fifth huh. and the seventh longest field goals made at the high school level in the history of the state of Missouri. So, sounds <laughs> like he's got a big leg. I like that. Uh, we'll see if he knows how to kick accurately. That tends to be the issue with these guys. But, I don't know anything more about Blake Craig. I'm not going to lie to our audience and pretend that I've watched a whole lot of film breaking down the kicker from Liberty. Uh, but I hope he's great, and we will see what he looks like in a pressure moment when there's you know, 70 to 100,000 fans in the stands. It's pretty much what I've got on Blake Craig. As for Marquise Johnson, this one is interesting because he seems to be kind of within the trend of what the Eli Drinkwitz wide receiver ha had been prior to last year's class. So mm -hmm. last year you had Jamarian Wayne, Makai Miller, and Luther Burden all of whom are like 6'1 to 6'3, and they all have frames where it looks like they could be more physically imposing wide receivers, right? Even Miller, who I think probably projects to be a slot receiver at the next level, like he could be a big slot if you want to go by that. And mm -hmm. then you add Demarion Houston a couple of weeks ago, and now you go out there and you get Marquise, and these guys are more in line with like the they're not as little as him, but the Mookie Coopers where it's gadget players. They're going to make most of their plays at the line of scrimmage. They're going to go on those jet sweeps. They're going to maybe be used occasionally as a deep threat in that kind of boost Smith role where you get one or two deep shots per game. And that's kind of it. They're limited players, but those roles are important, right? The It's almost like if you're a basketball fan, the three and D type of player where it's like, hey, you're going to shoot three-pointers and you're going to play good defense and you're going to be on the wing and that's our entire role for you. That's basically what these guys are as wide receivers. So there's a role for them. It's just more limited. And Marquise Johnson is really, 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 really fast. And that's why he's going to Mizzou, or at least that's why he committed to Mizzou. Although I don't know if you saw, uh, Nate, but he technically tweeted that his recruitment is still open. So it will be curious to see what this ends up meaning. Okay. <laughs> well, <clears throat> we've seen that play out before. Mm -hmm. uh, usually that means they leave. Then again, 
you know, this is a uh, a legacy, a Missouri legacy for whatever that's worth. Maybe he cares. Maybe he doesn't. Um, you know, it, this was a relatively quick commit um, with with Jacob Peeler meeting him and kind of offering him, and then them committing pretty in a, in a very small time frame. So, I don't know. It, it's tough to project. I, I, he's listed at six foot one seventy five. All right, lop off an inch, lop off ten pounds. So what, 5'11", 165 probably something like that. Um, so not the biggest dude, but it's all going to be speed based. We we got a lot of small dudes, whether he's here or not, whatever. But I think it's a cool story for sure. Uh, plus, you know, Dickinson, Texas, represent. I love getting back into the Texas area. A lot of the successful Missouri teams found recruiting success in Texas um, among the overlooked prospects. Obviously, that's not as easy to find an overlooked prospect in 2022 than it was in like 2007, 2008. But Johnson kind of falls into that category. He's currently unranked. He's got one very specific skill set. This is the sort of thing that previous Missouri teams really capitalized on and did well with. Um, and this is the type of receiver that certainly Eli Drinkwitz likes. Jacob Peeler likes kind of your more physical receivers. You know, so it's going to be really interesting to see you know that philosophy play out. Um, versus you know the the receivers drink likes versus the receivers that peeler likes uh but hey it's it's a receiver you're probably gonna need one in every single class and missouri's receiving room is pretty young right now so uh that continues that trend and if he makes it on campus it'll be very interesting to see what he can do with the football yeah that's the big thing like you've got a good mix right now i think um in terms of like banister is not a big guy but he does have some bulk to him um, Towski Dove can, can play on the outside. Luther Burden, Miller, Wayne, those guys can all play. Even if Miller's eventually going to be in the slide, he, he can play outside if you need him to. Um, yeah. So those three guys can all play outside. So you've got some players. And Lovett's not a big dude, but he can play on the outside. So you got options out there. I, mm. I just hope they don't go too far into the, hey, let's get these small little gadget guys and make everything at the line of scrimmage. It just aesthetically for me, I don't prefer watching that style of football. I, I like yeah. watching guys that can go across the middle, that can go in the intermediate routes and aren't going to kind of shy away from that contact. Not because they're scared, but because, you know, if you're little, it doesn't make sense to take on that contact. So th those are the things that I kind of look for in what I prefer for a team. But hey, man, when you're running, I think it was like a 10, 3, 100 meter dash. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, I get why they would want to take a commitment from this kid. Makes sense to me. I mean, there's 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 nine, nine scholarship receivers right now. Two are over six feet tall. So you are trending into the short, short and fast territory kind of for your entire. What's roster. burden listed at right now? Big ones. 511 210. Yeah, that uh, see, that's the thing where like, I'm not worried about that. That guy plays big. No, no, um, no. But the other ones, it is yeah. even if you count him and it's three out of nine, that's not a great, not it's a great not. ratio. It's not. It's really not. But yeah, that's that's the future. That's not this year. That's the next year. Uh, we did get an addition to this year's roster recently, uh, last night actually. Christian Williams out of Oregon, originally from Memphis, Tennessee, uh, Southwind High School in Memphis. Committed to Oregon out of high school in 2019. I checked. He did take a visit uh, to Mizzou in 2018. So that was the, those were the Odom days. Uh, the last good Missouri team that we've had. <laughs> uh, but he committed to Oregon. Uh, really didn't get to see the field all that much with the Ducks and hit the transfer portal. And now he is here in Columbia. I got some thoughts. I got a rant. I got some thoughts. 
what are what was your initial thought when you heard Christian Williams' defensive tackle was committing to Missouri? Surprise, I guess. Like I just mm-hmm. I don't know where the playing time is coming from. And eventually mm. I would like to see some of these young guys hit the field. Like I, I don't know if Marquis Gracio is ready to play at the at the D1 level or not. The odds are probably stacked against him, frankly, because, I mean, you look at it. He played at St. Charles. I live in St. Charles, where he went to high school. It's not the greatest competition that he was going up against on a week-in, week-out basis, and he didn't play on a very good very good football team. And I think anybody that goes to St. Charles or is around this area would agree with what I just said. So I get that. But, I mean, you look up and down, so you've got Realis George, Darius Robinson, uh, you've got Jernigan and Landry. You've got uh, Williams Marshall. now, Matthews, uh, Montgomery, Marshall, Gracial. That that is nine players along the interior, and not all of them can play. Like you, yep. you're probably going to go at most five deep. Along the interior, most likely, because you're going to have pass rush situations where a defensive end will kick in to the interior. And I saw a picture of Kyron Montgomery the other day, man. That dude is a defensive tackle. Like, he's not going to play defensive end. He's just not. So if that is the case for him and his long-term future is along the interior and he's back to being at somewhere approaching full health, I'm just not sure what the plan is for the young guys. And if they don't play... They leave, and that's not that's just kind of an assumption by me. I'm not reporting anything, but that's how this works now. So I, I don't know. If this guy's gonna be an average player for you, and I, I don't know what he projects to be at Mizzou. I he couldn't really get on the field very much at Oregon, and maybe he's better than that, and he's gonna be a great contributor here. But it just feels like they're taking a lot of these guys at this point of eh, this guy's gonna be an insurance plan for you. How much insurance do you need? And that that's my big Serious. question along the defensive line in particular. Where are you at on this? Serious. Same. I mean, he he got played 15 games in Eugene, saw 498 snaps, 358 of them were last year. To his name for his one, two, three year career, it's 21 tackles and a tackle for loss. Oh, and five run stuffs. That's it. That's it. He's a, he's a high three-star out of high school, but, I mean, Oregon's defense was very good last year. They have been very good for the past couple of years. I get it. But, yeah, like you said, how many of these <laughs> unproven projects are we going to take because we don't trust the guys that are currently on the roster? How many do you need? Right now, I did the math. I, I looked it up, and I counted it by myself. Currently, Missouri has 21 defensive linemen listed on their roster. 21. Now that's counting walk-ons, but 21. The average SEC football team has 13. They have 19 you, on scholarship, by the way. 19 on scholarship, yes. And it, that's 10 without, of them are upperclassmen. That's without adding Missouri. If you add Missouri, they take the average up by one whole number from 13 to 14. Alabama carries 14, Arkansas 11, Auburn 13, Florida 9, Georgia 15, Kentucky 12, LSU 20, <laughs> Mississippi State 11, Ole Miss 17, South Carolina 10, Tennessee 14, A&M 20, Vanderbilt 13, and of course Missouri 21. We got, that's too many. <laughs> 19 on scholarship, 
one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten could be gone after this year. Like if if you were bringing in freshmen, sophomores who had you know four years to play three, maybe I could get it. But you're not doing that. You're get, you're bringing in projects that could leave in a couple of years. So there's no development. And like to your point, you go before the transfer rules. You go, go back to 2012, 2008. You could get away with recruiting elite talent and then you know making them earn their playing time. Because we didn't have the free transfer rule. We didn't have NIL. And now if a player doesn't see playing time and they get an offer of here's your playing time. Oh, also here's some cash. They gone. And if you recruit elite talent, you got to play them. You know, if they stink, then they stink. But at least you're letting them and you and everyone figure out that they stink. And you know exactly where they stand. Instead, we're getting this deluge of unproven half measures with two years to play and you're over the scholarship limit. So what do you do? What do you do? You take away a walk-on school scholarship like a total. Do you push out a player from a different group? Okay, which group do you push out? Because it seems like you need everyone else and you have, you know, at, at the other spots that we have that you haven't prioritized because you put 20 offensive and defensive linemen, which again is half your roster is the line. And then you get to your other point, BK, the snap counts. You don't rotate all 19, so who sits? <laughs> and when they sit, do they leave, right? So you lose a scholarship at a thinner position because you brought this guy on, and then that guy might also leave because you're not playing him. And clearly the staff doesn't play young guys. So we, we just, we just hit the portal again for another half measure and on and on and on and on. I just, Missouri is not going to win bidding wars or let me rephrase. They're not going to win multiple bidding wars per year, every year. So their pitch, Missouri's pitch to kids has to be playing time and culture. And if you bench the youth, you're cutting out one of the very few pitches you have. And I just, I wonder why this staff does not trust the people, the kids they brought in and insist on stocking it with other kids that they don't know anything about. It's just a mind boggling decision. So I just jotted this down as to like how I think the playing time would get divvied up as of today. I think you'd probably see Robinson and Jernigan as your starters. I think your first two off of the bench, depending on situation, would probably be Landry and George. And then Williams, the most recent addition, would probably be fifth in that group. And that leaves Matthews, mm -hmm. who I, I don't think is ready. He, he needs in development. Uh, Montgomery, Marshall, and Gracial on the bench as, as guys who are probably not seeing, in a best-case scenario, any time this year. The thing that makes it difficult, though, to your point on the, on the snap counts, like Tyrone Hopper is a big run stuffing defensive end. He's probably going to see some time this year at defensive tackle. We've seen that in the past from guys like McGuire and Jeff Coat. They're going to kick inside at times um, in pass obvious pass rushing situations to be able to get their best pass rushers onto the field. So that's taking away even more of those snaps from your defensive tackles. So now you're basically getting those guys like 65% of the playing time in terms of the snap counts, yep. maybe 70% of the playing time. And then that 70% of the overall snaps is divvied up now into five guys. And it leaves basically nothing for your younger players to be able to develop. And I'm not saying necessarily that it's the wrong plan. They know more about these young guys than we do, because as you've said, we haven't mm -hmm. really seen them on the field. 
it just in a year in which Missouri we've talked about before is on a developmental track. This doesn't look to be in line with that thesis. So it makes you wonder if, okay, are they just trying to piece this thing together to win as many games as possible? And that makes you go back into the Frank Haith model of, uh, we're just trying to get to, in Mizzou basketball parlance, 20 wins every year, and then we'll figure it out. Eventually, we'll try to be able to kind of get off this hamster wheel of mediocrity. And it just never came for Haith. Like, it went the opposite direction because they missed. And then the same thing could be true for the defensive line, where it's like, okay, we're trying to get back to going from really not good and having no depth along the defensive line to being super average while also developing these borderline elite level talents and we think that's the best route for us what if that talent that you're developing decides yep man what the hell like i i came here to be able to play that was the pitch and now you're recruiting over me consistently with guys that like let's be honest marquis gracial's more talented than some of these mm-hmm. players that they're recruiting right now at the defensive tackle position if i was him i mean i I'm going to be honest, I wouldn't be thrilled right now. And and I'm not saying that I have any insight as to how he's feeling, but if I put my own sensibilities into his spot, I I ain't thrilled. I came here to play, and now that doesn't look like it's going to be happening. And then, you know, if he brings this up, they're going to say, you got to earn your spot just like everybody else. But yeah, man, you brought me here for a reason. There has to be a path. There has to be upward mobility, right? Like, we've both been in, in, in corporate worlds where, there's no obvious way to be able to have an upward mobility path, right? And so you decide, okay, am I stuck? Mm-hmm. Is there a way for me to get a promotion here? And if the answer is no, then you go elsewhere. <laughs> like, yeah. You go get another job because other places might be able to have, even if at first you take one step back to potentially take like seven steps forward, maybe that's the way some of these guys look at it as, okay, I understand that you're going to recruit other guys and I've got to earn my spot. Mm-hmm. But when there's seven dudes that are juniors and seniors in front of me and you recruited three of them since I signed, nope. there's no upward mobility here. And that's what would frustrate me if I was one of these younger guys. Absolutely. And like, yes, every every player wants to play. Every coach wants to win games. And the SEC is crazy cutthroat. Yes. Yes to all of that. I understand. I just don't understand why Eli Drinkwood seems so hell-bent on putting out the oldest, most experienced roster he can to seemingly win seven to eight games. What's the motivation? Where is that pressure? Like, if you're if you're just going for, like, you know, just, you know, job security, new contract, new job, I don't care. But, like, he just got such a weird pressure to just get somebody new, get somebody new. And then we get to game day, and he plays Odom guys. And it's like, okay, uh, there's not a lot of Odin guys left. So this is your team. Uh, and a lot of them, you know, 13 of them are going to be incoming transfers. They were at a different school uh, last year. But it's just really weird that he happily recruits high-end talent and then doesn't play it. Now, again, the pandemic was weird. It was weird on development. It was weird on recruiting. Uh, you know, so a lot of these guys get on the campus and the coaches go, oh, you actually suck. A lot of the kids get on campus <laughs> and they go, oh, I hate this place. So, like, I get that it's kind of weird right now. And, you know, frankly, all of this concern could be erased the second he trots out the blue chips on the two deep in week one. But right now, 
his recruiting actions don't fit the logic of we are building something here. His actions should say we need to win now at all costs. And I will bring in anybody who I think can help us win the most games at all costs, which again is the job. But don't you think you could sacrifice a little bit of wins in your first three freaking years when you got the most, (laughs) the most support that you can possibly get? Don't you think you could sacrifice some wins there to develop the talent that you brought in to get more wins later? I I understand I'm not a football coach. I don't have the mentality. They're paranoid schizophrenics. I understand that. It just seems really bizarre to me because everything he's saying is I have to win now. And I just don't know where that pressure comes from. Yeah. And I get it next year. Like next year, I I actually agree with that assessment, but this year I don't. And the other thing that's so strange to me on this line of thinking is like the blue chip talent is mostly local. Mm Mm-hmm. And like knowing this fan base, those are the guys that they want to see. So you're not going to get a whole lot of like pushback of, hey, Travion Ford, look at this guy, young player out of St. Louis that's getting a bunch of snaps for Mizzou. And maybe he's not quite ready yet, but we think he's going to get there. Or, hey, look, Marquis Gracial from St. Charles right down the road, in-state kid, DJ Weselak, in-state kid. These guys are getting a whole lot of playing time for us right now. We think they're going to eventually be really good players for us. Or Jaden Jernigan. Like, that one makes sense. I I also think we should do this, uh, Nate, because I'm I'm sure there are people that are frustrated by the fact that we're uh, not, like, pie in the sky, very happy about what's going on right now with the recruiting side of things. Jaden Jernigan is a smart pickup. Mm -hmm. He's a very good player that was proven on a very good defense. That is the type of move that you would make 100 times out of 100. I could talk myself into Landry along the defensive line as well. He played at Baylor, not a ton, but played for a really good defense. Mm -hmm. And those are the kinds of upside bets that I'm willing to take. DJ Coleman, Williams, some of the Juco kids that they've taken elsewhere. Those are the ones that I'm less understanding of. It's one thing to make a couple of these moves to stabilize a rotation. It's another thing entirely when you start to rely on those stabilizing moves to become your rotation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, God, how many, you know, we talked about how many Drinkwitz recruits have actually started a game. It's not that long uh, of a list. Um, how many Missouri kids have played for Trinkwitz teams? You know, like you got Brady Cook, Tyler Macon, uh, but like, you know, Taj Butts has not seen the field. Mookie Cooper, I understand, was injured, but he didn't really, he did not see the field all that much. You got Dom Lovett, who had a pretty, pretty decent year. Um, but like on your offensive line, not a lot of Missouri kids are seeing the field. Maybe they stink, but you don't see them a lot. On the defensive line, same thing. Like, again, he plays Odom guys, and Odom guys tended to come from all over the place. Yeah. <clears throat> so, again, all of this could be erased this year. Maybe this is the year where that talent is ready to go. And he got all this insurance, piled up all these policies, ready for to die and have his wife cash out. And, like, guess what? Gray Shields the bomb. Coleman is, or uh, Weselak is excellent off the edge. Right. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, Butts was actually sick all last year, and now he's awesome. Like, the, the, a lot of this stuff can be just ironed out, and, and we'll be just freaking out in the offseason for no reason. Um, but so far, that's not really the MO of this staff. And all these additions are just 
just seem to be taking guys to take guys <laughs> all in the same position. And again, I want to remind you, uh, by my count, there are they are now at 88 scholarships. So you got to get rid of you got to get down to 85 by the time fall camp starts. So three guys got to leave or three scholarships got to get yanked. And it would look really crappy if he did that to a walk on. So I don't know who they're going to push out. You can't really lose a linebacker. You can maybe lose a running back, but you can't lose a receiver. Really can't lose a tight end. I mean, it's probably defensive line. One of them, probably. At least, yeah. But then, so you just brought, <laughs> it's probably going to be a blue chipper then. It's like, great. Why did we, why did we bring him in in the first place? So <sighs> anyway, that's kind of a bummer topic, but that's how we feel. You want to talk about the team that you said last year is the mirror to find out how good Mizzou is since they want to find out how good they are. God, yeah, let's talk about other happy things like Kentucky, man. So the Kentucky preview dropped yesterday and I'm not saying I'm feeling confident about the game because, you know, until proven otherwise, Kentucky just kind of has our goat, but they're in a really, really interesting rebuild because they lost their offensive coordinator to the NFL they lost maybe the best receiver <laughs> coordinator fit in, uh, of last year in Wandell Robinson and Liam Cohen. Wandell Robinson is also in the NFL right now. He gone. They're also almost completely resetting their cornerback rotation. So you know, Bill Connolly's talked about it. I have parroted it constantly for either offense or defense to have a lot of success. You need a lot of experience when it comes to, Throwing the ball on offense, that's quarterback and receivers on defense. That's corners and safeties. Kentucky is restarting basically in both. Now they're not known for throwing the ball, but they are known to have a timely passing game. That's based off of their run game. And then of course, on top of that, their best running back from last year, Chris Rodriguez uh, decided to drive while intoxicated and he got arrested. And so there's a good chance that he is just off the team. And even those who think he's coming back will openly admit that he has to serve a suspension of some kind. So the running game, which is their strength, will probably be okay, but would be a lot more vulnerable without Rodriguez. And you're restarting in the receivers, in the corners, and you're also coming to Columbia for your second consecutive road trip. I'm not saying it's all pointing in the direction of it's going to be a win, but that's about as favorable as a situation as you can get with Kentucky in the past five years. Have I told you how much I love this series? Like, in all seriousness, this and the South Carolina series are the two that I look forward to every year. Yeah, those are good. Uh, because they always produce good games. I think the, pro the, the teams, the programs, however you want to look at it, are at least similar enough to where you feel like you're kind of on level footing, both in terms of recruiting and all of these different things. Mm -hmm. Fan bases are, are really into it and want to be good every year. I think those three schools for me, Mizzou, Kentucky, and South Carolina, are the three that that really make the most sense together. And so I always look forward to this game to find out where does Mizzou stack up against the team that, like one of Mizzou, South Carolina, or Kentucky, if there's going to be a quote-unquote surprise nationally, because those teams never rate nationally, uh, it's going to be one of those three mm -hmm. in the SEC East. So the way that they stack up is always interesting to me. And that's something that I'm going to be looking forward to finding out early on in the season next year is, all right, wh where are these teams at relative to each other and the SEC East as a whole? You mentioned the 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 turnover in their offensive coordinator. 
Rich Gangarillo is a guy who has a ton of experience in the NFL. So they went back to that well. He was not very good when he was in Denver recently. Um, the, he, he is a guy who has worked in the past in that uh, Shanahan scheme mm-hmm. that you saw that they ran last year, or at least a variation of it. Liam Cohen is from the McVay, Sean McVay portion of it. There's a little bit of a difference between that and what Kyle and Mike Shanahan both run, but Skangarilla is on that Shanahan side of the same basic wide zone identity. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's as good of a teacher. I don't think he's as good of an offensive coordinator. I don't think he's as good of a play caller as Liam Cohen was. He was a good Liam, Liam Cohen is a guy that I wanted to be the chief. So see, he's that good. That dude is super talented and very, very young. So that's a big hole to be able to fill. And they have a quarterback who most NFL people think is going to be a legit first round pick. So that helps you be able to overcome that. But with the losses of Wandale Robinson and potentially Rodriguez, I just don't really know what to expect out of them next year. And that's kind of, pro- I would imagine, how most like Kentucky fans, if they're starting to look at their schedule, or South Carolina fans, if they're starting to look at their schedule, they're probably thinking the same thing about Mizzou, where they're like, I don't really know what to expect out of them because of the number of the, the amount of turnover that has taken place this offseason. So that just adds to the intrigue for me in looking at these series in particular. The other th- interesting thing is that uh, Brad White is Kentucky's defensive coordinator, and he's been there for a couple of years. But when he's been the only coordinator, Kentucky's defense has regressed year over year over year. Last year, they brought in a guy named John Summerall as a co-DC, uh, and they made a massive improvement. Well, Mr. Summerall is now Troy's head coach, so it's back to Brad being by himself. The trend tends, tends to be he's not as good by himself as when he's paired with somebody else. So that'll be really interesting to see, especially with the corners restarting and the defensive line restarting too, by the way. Every single linebacker comes back, and those linebackers are kind of like the engine that fuels the defense. But you can have you know 17 awesome linebackers. If your defensive line stinks and your corners can't cover anybody, it doesn't really matter. Uh, so it's going to be really curious to see how this how this team adapts to, to the obvious holes as they go into this season. The other interesting thing of note is is that this is towards the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Last year, we got him in week two, and we're like, ah, crap. Because, <laughs> you know, Kentucky's kind of like Russia in wars. It's like it takes them a little bit to get going, and once they go, they do- they dominate. Very much here, they were not as good at the beginning of the year as they were at the end. They played a lot of close games, went 5-1 and one in one-possession one games. Like, their, their record was a little inflated, but there were like four of them were in the beginning of the year. They went through their gauntlet of three losses, and then they just cranked it up to 11 and dominated to close it all out. Right. So for better or worse, we're going to know exactly what this Kentucky team is by the time Missouri plays them. And we're going to know exactly what this Missouri team is by the time they play Kentucky. So there's going to be no surprises or shouldn't be. And there's going to be no acclimation period. So if you are hoping that the line doesn't gel and the corners take a little bit and the receivers need their timing, well, guess what? They're going to have plenty of time to figure that out. If they're just bad, then we're definitely going to know. Uh, so it's really curious when this game in particular gets bounced around from the beginning of the season to the end, uh, cause it offers a different flavor for everybody, especially for, from a peer program. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to be optimistic ever about Kentucky, but, uh, there's a, there's a lot of factors that are in Missouri's favor, assuming Missouri doesn't fall off a cliff and die. Yeah. The, the swing games we've talked about a few of these already, 
uh, in our previews. But the swing games on Mizzou season are K-State week two. At Auburn kind of fits into this because it's possible they're just going to be a dumpster fire this year. Could be, yeah. That's week four. And then you've got South Carolina in late October and Kentucky in early November. There's your four games. Yep. Those will determine, like, if you do really well in those four games, you got a chance to have a really fun season. Yep. If you do something middling in those four, probably going to be around that six and six, seven and five type of range, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. And if you do really poorly, that's how the season goes awry for you. Mm-hmm. But th- those are the four that determine the outcome of Mizzou season this year, as they do most seasons with the South Carolina Kentucky games. Yeah. Well, I don't know how good they're going to be, but they tend to be, like I said, the mirror of the SEC. If they beat you, you're not a good team. If you beat them, you're a good team. And last year, there were a lot of teams that weren't very good because Kentucky finished second in the East. Now, there's, I'll just say it. Kentucky's never going to win the East because, number one, Georgia exists. And number two, divisions are going away in maybe a year. <laughs> so I feel very strongly about that statement. Uh, but that doesn't mean they're not going to, uh, mess you up uh, your season or just be an impossible out. They've got a pretty manual schedule. Their non-conference is Miami, uh, Ohio, Miami, uh, Youngstown state, Northern Illinois. Uh, okay. Very easy. And then of course, Louisville to close out the year. That's kind of a tough one, but you know, by the time Missouri gets to them, they will have had their bye. They had just gone to Tennessee, which will probably be pretty good. Then they'll get Missouri. Then they'll get Vandy, then Georgia, then Louisville. So it's, you know, it's, Vanderbilt's nice, but that's not going to be an easy close to the season. <laughs> um, so who knows what they're going to be playing for? Who knows what their mentality is going to be? I will say this. Mark Stoops is Kentucky's Gary Pinkle, and I trust him to have good seasons just no, no matter what. Um, so it's not going to be easy, but like you said, good game. It always seems to be a good game, except that one blowout. Um, and it's just, you know, this that's the litmus test of the year. Did you beat Kentucky or not? And so far, Kentucky or Eli Drinkwitz is one on one against Kentucky. Uh, it'd be really nice to be two and one and not have them win <laughs> at Faro for a couple of years. That would that'd be nice to start that streak. It'd be tremendous. And Mark Stoops is one hell of a coach, man. He's he's one of those guys that you're just always going to wonder when he's going to take that next big job. Yeah, because yeah. like outside of throw away 2020 weird pandemic season, just toss that aside. 10 and 3, 8 and 5, 10 and 3 in his last three full seasons Man. without the pandemic Man. playing into things. To do that at Kentucky is nothing short of miraculous. It's very impressive. I do hope he goes somewhere else. I am tired of him <clears throat> beating my team. But uh I do respect him. I can't help it. He's a good coach. Uh that's it. That's it. That's all I got anyway. Uh, anything from you, BK, before we get out of here? I don't think so, man. Uh, I'll just add this. If you're looking for the best records by Kentucky head coaches in the last 50 years, one of them took place in 1977 when they went 10-1. and one. The next two are under Mark Stoops in 2018 and 2021 when they went 10-3. and three. Nice. He's quite good. He is good. Well, that's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or you can rate us. We love all types of feedback from you all. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. And, of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U. Z-O-U.